listener production. You, you, you got queer questions, we got queer answers. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to Come Out Wherever You Are. It is Friday, and that means you're listening to another episode of Queer Questions, a weekly series where we answer a question that we know you have about an important, imperative, interesting piece of information that's impacting the lives of queer humans everywhere. Because we know you've got queer questions, so we are serving you a flamboyant plate of queer answers. You got queer questions, we got queer answers. Today, we're going to be answering a listener-submitted question. What's this new Catholic school's guide, and should I be worried about it? Well, you're in luck, because we've read it, and we are prepared to unpack it for you. Recently, the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conferences released Created and Loved, a guide for Catholic schools on identity and gender. The 12-page guide, which was discussed by hundreds of Catholic educators in Melbourne last week, has been launched to mixed reviews around the country, and it offers up, I'm quoting here, a guide for decision-making about the care of individual students with respect to identity and gender. It is intended for Catholic school leaders, including principals, teachers, and parish priests, where appropriate, as they work through some considerations inherent in these questions in their local context. Let's kick this summary off, shall we? On the very first page, nestled within the introduction, some lovely things are written. They say the guide, and I'm quoting here, takes as its starting point the truth expressed in the Catholic tradition that every human person made in the image and likeness of God is equal in worth and dignity along with every other human person and is precious in the eyes of God. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. I can get behind that. And therefore, equal in worth and dignity, which I imagine means that all students, no matter their gender or sexuality, should be respected and supported by the staff, just like the straight students, right? Right? Well, color me cynical, but I am skeptical. But let's keep reading. On the very same page, this time nestled within the context section, The authors say the following. The society in which we live and work today sees the world and our place in it in a variety of ways. Contested and sometimes conflicting views about what it means to be human inevitably create diverse understandings of sex and gender. Got it, got it. I agree with this. I'm getting it. We are on the same page here. As principals and leadership teams keep up to date on these changing social trends, It is important for them also to ensure their staff and school communities are well-grounded and adequately formed in the principles of a shared Christian anthropology. Hold on. Social trends? That's interesting. On page one of a document titled Created and Love, these authors, bishops if you're nasty, are already undermining the needs of LGBTQIA plus individuals by chalking up their honesty, their truth, as a fleeting trend. I'm not a dummy. I know we can argue that in recent years, there is clearly a rise in publicly discussed gender diversity. In fact, we have on this very show, multiple times, in fact, talked about this. But 
That ignores entirely the fact that we now have access to language that didn't exist before. We have examples, real-life people represented in the media. These words, social trend, ignore the potential reality of people having lived with these feelings without a label to hold on to all along, right? Hundreds of thousands of struggling humans throughout history didn't have a title to call their own or a community to feel a part of. A social trend? Or maybe a new word to put a label onto something that people have been feeling all along. Remember, please, 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 please pay attention. Gay was once called a social trend until it wasn't. Even when historians agreed that there was evidence of same-sex love and activity in every single documented culture, conservatives still called it a social trend. Why? Because it was different and a direct attack on the words in their poorly translated Bible. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, so let's keep reading. Okay, I'm quoting here again. Young people will feel a disordinance between their biological sex on the one hand and their belief about their gender on the other. Another interesting word choice, belief, also known as without proof, because the knowledge and honest articulation of how you feel deep inside is and will never be proof enough for these people. What will be proof? Something I've been asking myself the last 24 hours. Suicide, is that enough for you? Because according to Beyond Blue, LGBTQI plus people have the highest rate of both suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts in Australia. 15% report current suicidal thoughts. Same-sex attracted Australians have up to 14 times higher rates of suicide attempts. And 43% of transgender Australians have attempted suicide. But, you know, that's just the belief. Sorry, where were we? I'm quoting again, research data strongly suggests that for the vast majority of children and adolescents, gender incongruence is a psychological condition through which they will pass safely and naturally with supportive psychological care. I cannot, yuck, quote, pass through gender dysphoria. What are these kids, footballs being passed around or travelers like passing through a desert? These are human beings. We can debate till the cows come home how many of them might choose to stop taking their meds or detransition later in life. But the data, whether you like it or not, it's clear. This is not a majority of people. And most importantly, who cares? Honestly, who cares? Because all researchers agree this gender dysphoria that they are experiencing, it's real. In that moment, it is real for them. They need to be supported, not told it's a phase that they will pass through, but as a truth, a truth that needs to be acknowledged. Because honestly, who likes being told that their feelings in the moment that they are feeling it is quote, just a phase? No one, that's the answer. Absolutely no one. But I digress. What else does the guide say? Okay, it says gender can change over time and vary both between individuals and across different cultures. Rigid cultural stereotypes of masculinity and femininity are thus unfortunate and undesirable because they can create unreasonable pressure on children to present or behave in a particular way. 
Yes, we love this. It also says, no human person is to be diminished or devalued and all have an indispensable part to play in the human community regardless of differences. Hello, we love that too. But then it goes on to say, the use of ideas, words, and images that are in conflict with the generosity of the Christian vision should be respectfully avoided. Like, they give some examples, that gender is sometimes entirely separate from biological sex. Another example, that gender is arbitrarily assigned rather than a given aspect of the gift of life. And finally, the last example they give, the concept that gender can be fluid and oscillate between a male or female gender identity according to a subjective personal choice. Translation, gender fluidity and non-binary identities do not exist. Nope, they are not real. Because what? The complementarity of male and female is part of the goodness of creation. Whew. Now that that's out of the way, let's just skip ahead and summarize, okay? The Catholic school's gender identity guidelines oppose gender-affirming and essential medical interventions like puberty blockers, hormones, and gender-affirming surgery. It says it's against gender-affirming surgery because in many cases, this treatment causes, quote, permanent infertility. They go on to say, traditional medical ethics and Catholic church teachings maintain that health professionals should not disable or destroy healthy bodily organs or systems or perform and or advise actions that render a person incapable of parenting a child. Because what? We are all put on this earth to make babies, according to the guide. Let's continue. It says, there are serious concerns regarding a young person's capacity to consent to these treatments. Interesting. It also says, there's a high correlation between childhood gender incongruence and family dynamics. And by discovering the child's and family stories, practitioners are able to understand the gender variance felt by the child or young person with the context of family and their domestic environment. And if that is not enough to make you wiggle in your seats and want to vom just a little bit, they also say, treat adverse childhood experiences alongside the gender incongruence by using a trauma-informed model of mental health care. It is recommended to use the term gender dysphoria or gender incongruence when referring to students rather than transgender. It says, ensure all school documentations record the student's biological sex at the point of enrollment only. I mean, let me just translate all this for you because this is a lot of mumbo jumbo. People with gender dysphoria have a shitty family trauma. That's why. That's what they're saying. They're saying if you don't say transgender, then it will go away. Just use a different word entirely because transgender is not real. And they're saying if kids want to change their gender, just don't let them. Not officially, at least. Like, don't mark it down on a piece of paper, please. I mean, I know all of this sounds so bad, but not everything is bad in the document. I mean, most of it is. But they do suggest providing a unisex toilet and changing room areas and creating a bathroom space that is private and not aligned to biological sex to increase the access and safety options for vulnerable students. Hello, we absolutely love that. And they suggest offering flexibility with uniform expectations as it would cater to the diversity of the student body. And we absolutely love that too. And they even note that an individual student's preferred name, identity, and personal pronouns should be noted on school reports. This is great. But why not just allow it all? That's what I've been asking myself. Like, you're willing to update the person's name, but not their gender. You'll update their preferred pronouns to respect them day to day, but not 
take the millisecond of additional effort to update their gender. It feels, what's the word I'm thinking of? Confused, which is kind of how I feel, to be honest with you. I was raised Roman Catholic, so this hits very close to home. I grew up in an environment outside of my home, which was supportive, where it was clear that homosexuality was a sin, right? I grew up in an environment where people who were different were shunned. So I know how hard it can be to go to a school like this and not feel supported. And I know deep in my bones how dangerous it can be to not feel respected or acknowledged or safe in an environment where you spend six and a half hours a day. On one hand, I'm impressed by this. I'm impressed that the bishops are putting in the effort to create a document like this, to acknowledge this is a real issue that has to be addressed instead of ignoring it. And there's a lot of good in this guide. I mean, there's some good in this guide, especially the school uniforms and the bathroom recommendations, which I would love to see introduced nationwide, not just in Catholic schools. But on the other hand, and the hand is much, much, much larger, I can't ignore the danger of a document like this. It's working very hard, wrapped obviously in a disguise of support and love, to belittle the trans and non-binary experience. That is 100% what they are doing. They say the right nice things before and after, slipping in a recommendation that will, without a hint of doubt, damage thousands of young children around which I guess leads me and probably you to wanting answers to a very simple question, which is, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to Catholic schools and all the queer kids who go there? In short, not much. Like, this is just advice. It's just a guide. And each school board and the teachers who teach there will get to make their decisions on what advice to take on. Will all the schools listen to it? Nah, I don't think so. But some of them will. And that's totally their right. Right, 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 right. Listen, I have always believed, and I know a lot of you will disagree, but this is my personal belief. I would hate to live in a world where people weren't allowed to believe and practice what they want to believe and practice in. I'm pro-choice. And you have to have a choice. You do. What religion you practice and where you want to send your children to school. Just like I should be allowed to choose to not practice that religion or not send my child to that school. But I am, from personal, hands-on experience, anti-indoctrination and anti-force choice. Because your children, whether you want to believe it or not, they don't always have a choice where they're sent to school, especially when they're younger, do they? So if we put yours and my personal religious beliefs aside, I would just encourage you to stop and ask yourself, are you confident that your child is not in danger. Remember, you don't have access to the script in your children's head. You don't. You think you know them and everything they're experiencing and everything they're believing. But do you really know? Do you really know their sexuality or their gender? Even when you ask them, right? Even when you literally look them in the eyes and say, are you gay? And then you get the answer of no. You can never really know if they're hiding the truth. But if they're raised in a religious environment that doesn't support at large a community that they might be a part of, I promise you, you can guarantee they are less likely to speak the truth to you. It's not your fault. But you're sending them to the school and you're putting them in the religious pews. I'm just saying, so it's partially your fault. You have to ask them, 
how they feel about this. So the document, the guide, involve them in this important conversation. You're sending them to the school. You're sending them to church. You're asking them to pray before dinner. So why not include them in this larger conversation? Share the guide with them. Send it to them. Let them read it on their own time. It comes in a PDF form. Just so they can understand the church's beliefs. And, and you can even say, this is what we believe in. If you're willing to, right? Let them decide then. Sit them down, let them read it, and then ask them, is this something you'd like to continue to be a part of? Do you believe in this? Do you understand? Do you agree? Do you have any questions? Start a conversation. That's what you can do. I know. I'm going to be doing the exact same thing. We're going to place a link to the guide in our show notes. Feel free to head over to our Instagram feed at come out wherever you are to share your thoughts. You can also scroll back into the podcast feed and listen to my chat with Christian Hall, where he talks about standing up for students at Brisbane's City Point Christian College, where they were forced to sign a homophobic and transphobic contract as a condition of their enrollment. And in the meantime, stay tuned for more coming out stories and issues that matter most to our community in and outside of the closet. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email us at comeouttous at gmail.com. That's comeouttous at gmail.com. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Bacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Mosh. See you soon.